This morning's reading is from Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, They will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. And during this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Norbert. Good morning, everyone. I'm not quite sure about that last verse. I'm not planning on preaching on the fact they never took their clothes off. But, uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's there for a reason, but I'm <laughs> not quite sure what it is. Um, so I'm going to pick up this morning from where Wayne left off last week. Uh, after about 161 years of living amongst rubble uh, in the city, uh, it, it was vulnerable to attack after some previous failed attempts at rebuilding, the the, the wall around there was now half-built. They were on their way. The future was looking good. 
Yeah, they've had some problems with the neighbours during the building works. I guess some of us can uh, relate to that as well. But hopefully none of us have ever actually been attacked while we've been doing building work. But they'd had these sporadic attacks. Nevertheless, they were still making good progress. So just before that passage that Norbert read, it says in verse 8 that their enemies were planning to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw them into confusion. Now, I've got to get used to this because it's a different click and a slightly different way of doing things, so hopefully I'll get it right. Um, but they were running into problems with the, uh, with the people around them, but they prayed. Let me see that. No, go back one. Right, we'll get there now. So they, they prayed. They prayed that God would protect them. They committed the work to God. They took action. They took action to protect themselves and they relied upon God. God was going to be working, protecting with them. It wasn't just, they, they weren't just expecting to go, uh, for God to do everything for them. It sounds positive. The work continues. The plans of the enemies are frustrated. The wall's halfway up. Most of the gates are in place. But as Norbert just read, they're starting to complain. Sounds a bit like the, the time of the Exodus, doesn't it? They started to complain. They're getting tired. There's a lot of rubble piled up and they feel as though they're never going to be able to complete the task that they started. I'm going to think about that in a moment, but before I do, you know, it's never easy explaining to anyone the job that you do, or at least the job I used to do when I worked at Forge and before I retired. I'll have a go, but because for a large part of my career, I worked in a department that was responsible for planning and installing new models in the factory. We'd start planning at least a year before the new model came in, and we'd managed to do a little bit of work you know, before their big three-week summer shutdown, but the big job was in those three weeks. They'd finished making the current model on the Friday, and then they would come back on the Monday three weeks later, and they'd be making a new model. We had to make that happen. So you can imagine, you know, there's no loss of production, no compromise on quality, everything's got to be absolutely right, and it was an intense three weeks working 24-7, you know, many doing more than 12-hour shifts. There was great camaraderie working together, of course there was, a lot of pressure. We worked hard together, we ate together, we slept in the same hotel. <laughs> we often faced difficulties with things, you know, they didn't always work out exactly as planned. We had late deliveries and we often got helpful support from senior management. I remember one time, you know, we were about two weeks uh, into the programme and the factory manager came in, he came back from his two weeks holiday, he came in a week early to check things. He called me in to ask for a progress report. Well, yeah, we'd had a number of issues, of course you do, on, on any big project. And yes, we were a little bit behind. Now, I don't remember exactly how I presented myself. We had plans in place to recover. But I do remember his reply. Well, it would have been all right if he'd have planned it properly, wouldn't it? You can imagine how that made the team feel. It didn't make us feel great. We were rather demoralised. You know, it doesn't help when you get comments like that. We were over halfway through, well over. Yeah, we, we had plans to recover lost time, but we suddenly got this sideswipe, this attack, you know, that really pulled us down. Now, I should add, to be fair, 
You know, this is 30 years ago, and the company changed a lot during the rest of my time there, as many companies have over the last 30 years as well. So what are the Israelites? They were halfway through. They had the gates in place, the walls were head height, they were working together as a team, building their future, secure, their future security. Those who lived outside the city came and worked with them. They were engaged in God's work. They climbed the hill, as it were. And now they just had to finish things off. And then what happens? They get tired. All they can see in front of them is problems. They've been through the worst. Their experience tells them that God's with them, that he's going to see them through. But they get pulled down. I wonder, it's a bit like some of the things we do, isn't it? You start off with something, maybe trying to lose weight, maybe trying to have a more healthy diet, a bit more exercise or whatever it is. Things aren't progressing perhaps as fast as you'd like them to and you start to give up. The Israelites, there were still mounds of rubble about. Now they had to build above head height. They were halfway up, now they were having to go above head height. It's going to be a bit more effort, a bit more scaffolding, whatever they used in those days. But the bigger problem was that they started to listen to the enemy rather than listening to God. They were allowing themselves to get distracted. They were starting to lose their vision. Now, we've read about, previously, about Sambalat and Tobiah, along with some of the others that were attacking them. They mocked about how weak the Israelites were and how pathetic their attempts at building a wall would be, that even if a fox stood on it, it was going to fall down. I'm sure there was a lot more, they said, that perhaps couldn't be put in the Bible. But today, Sambalat and Tobiah might be known as trolls, not those sort of Norwegian ugly things that live in rocks and caves, but internet, internet trolls. Because internet trolls, they make inflammatory, rude or upsetting comments online wanting to cause distress and distraction. A lot of them do it for their own amusement, but some, like Sam Ballot, if he was using the internet, doing it for political or destructive agenda. They had a purpose behind it to destroy things. He wanted to pull them down emotionally. He wanted to undermine their efforts and frustrate the purposes of God. It's not always easy, is it, to stay strong in faith when there's opposition. You know, those who live nearer to the enemy began to believe the enemy and, and uh, started to spread fear. And I guess the immediate lesson for us from that is don't entertain the enemy, not even a little bit. We might be the only Christian at home, at school, at work, in the neighbourhood, wherever we are. We might feel like a lone voice, unable to make much impact for God. But it's not our battle. It's the Lord's battle. Yeah, we're engaged in it, of course, but one that God fights with us. Though we might sometimes feel alone, we're not alone. Sometimes we might struggle. I mean, many saints have struggled before us. Now think of Paul, let's see. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not destroyed. Right, change it on the screen there. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed. Sorry, it's flashing. I can't, I can't read it from there, Pete. <laughs> um, 
Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul persevered, and then he wrote to Timothy, perhaps you bring that up, Pete, he encouraged him to do the same, to persevere, to preach the word, to be prepared in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Keep your head in all situations. That's that encouragement to keep going. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Will we keep going when we face opposition, when we're undermined or even attacked? Nehemiah hears about the situation, he takes control and of course proposes wise counteraction. He encourages them and he reminds them of what they, of what and who they're working for and who they're working with. And he makes quite a short speech, uh, one of the shortest ones in the Bible really. He said, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. They've been focusing on their own weakness, their own fears, their own limitations, on the apparent size of the enemy. But Nehemiah doesn't mention any of that. He simply says, Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Circumstances, they might appear otherwise, but God is on the throne. He is in control. He is on our side and he will fulfil his purposes. How do we see God? I think we all know how we ought to answer that question if we had to answer it out loud. But do we sometimes forget and at least sometimes have a bit of an impression of an old man with a long beard sitting away on a throne way, way out there in eternity somewhere? We don't like to admit it, but sometimes we do feel a bit disconnected. But Nehemiah is speaking of a God of power, a great and glorious God, who's described in Timothy as the only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, immortal and dwelling in unapproachable light. He's the one who spoke into darkness. He's the one who created light. Sin cannot stand in his presence. Everything has to obey him. Everything is under him. Now, it's good to know that, isn't it? But it only moves from being our head knowledge into our heart when we remember that God is more loving than it's ever possible for us to imagine. And he fights for his people. This is the God that they needed to remember and it's the God that we need to remember. 
And only after Nehemiah has reminded them of the greatness of their God does he say, move on. He calls the people to fight for their brothers, to fight for their sons, to fight for their daughters, to fight for their wives and fight for their homes. They're called not just to fight for their own skins and their own futures, but for others too. Paul in the New Testament talks about keeping the faith, how he's persevered, how he's fought the good fight. And he encourages Timothy, and by extension he encourages us to do the same. He hasn't fought just to maintain his own faith, but he's fought to bring the gospel and to make it known to others, to bring the gospel to as many people as he possibly could. And that challenge is passed on to us as well. When Nehemiah says to fight for the brothers, he's talking about the community, something we'd be praying for on Tuesday, of course. Those that we they live alongside. And in the New Testament, brothers often refers to other believers and we're called also to contend for each other. Praying and standing up for believers in other countries as well as this country and our church. To walk alongside each other, long term sometimes, to commit to each other and support each other both physically and spiritually. We can bring relief, we can bring encouragement along with our prayers. And we're called to fight to bring the good news to those who don't know, to build bridges, to develop trust and relationships, to develop common ground so that we can share the message. And we've got many fronts around us. You know, there's so many here today. We're all in different areas during the week. We've got many fronts to serve and to fight for the gospel. But then he talks also about immediate family, wives and children. We have to invest, we must invest in our families and protect them physically and spiritually. And there are times when we have to fight for our relationships too. I know that things don't always work out, and I can't explain why that sometimes is the case. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't have fought. We do what we can and we surrender the rest to God. We may have questions. We have to fight for ourselves. We have to fight for our faith that it won't fail us. And perhaps some of those questions won't be answered until the end time. But we need to continue to contend. And he tells them to fight for their homes. They weren't just fighting to make sure their houses weren't knocked down but they would establish Jerusalem as a place where God dwelt, where he tabernacled with his people. We'd fight for our families, for those around us, but ultimately we're called to put God first, to put all the things that we have, all that we hold dear, on the altar to him. To say to God, this belongs to you. And we need to be ready to give them up. He may not call us to give them up, but we need to be ready. To Nehemiah's telling them not to give in to fear, not to put other things in God's place, but to fight for his glory. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, he says. There's no one more powerful than him, no one who loves us more than he does. I remember the story some time ago of one person asking another, How are you? And the other person replied, I'm doing well under the circumstances. 
Well, their immediate response, as many of you probably know, what are you doing under the circumstances? Now, the Israelites have got caught up with their difficult surroundings or their circumstances. They've lost the big picture. Let's make every effort to look away from our circumstances, to see the big picture, the broader horizon, to remember our great and glorious God. We're living lives, our lives for Jesus. We're engaged in his mission, his work, to his glory. He's with us in power. He's the one who's mighty to save. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I did feel as though that might be the finishing point, so I'm not asking you to vote whether or not it is. <laughs> That's only part one, but part two is a lot shorter. You know, I've called it, don't leave the work of building for the sake of the battle. Don't leave the work of the building for the sake of the battle. It's about distraction. In verse 15, it says, when our enemies heard that the Israelites knew what they'd been planning and that God had frustrated their plans, the enemies could have paralyzed... Got slightly confused. The enemies could have paralysed the Israelites through fear, even without fighting. But their plans were frustrated because the Israelites refocused on the greatness of God. And so what did they do? They returned to their work on the wall. Or put another way, they recaptured the vision. They got back to their original task. I mean, I would add just a little bit to that and say, yeah, they got back to their original task, but they had a new perspective. And, of course, they had a slightly changed plan. They were still going forward with God, but they were taking wise precautions on the way. So now, instead of just building, they have to defend. Can you imagine people working on a wall with a trowel in one hand or carrying bricks in one hand? I don't know how many you get in one hand, to be honest, uh, and with a sword in the other. The others are walking around the perimeter as guards. Obviously, they were slowed down. Perhaps they halved the speed that they were working, but they didn't stop. In some ways, I guess it was quite a tense situation, but they were focused on God's work. It's about getting ready for anything, but also getting on with the task in hand. And I'm reminded of that passage in Ephesians 6 that tells us to be strong, to stand firm against the strategies of the devil, to resist the enemy, to stand our ground, as we put on and carry our spiritual armour. A familiar passage, I'm sure, to most. There's always going to be battles. There's always going to be something to distract us. They won't go away. But we can't give up building to attend to a battle. Otherwise, we'd build nothing. And the enemy would win by distraction. We have to stay in fellowship. We have to build our faith. If all we do is battle then no one's going to be saved. No missionaries will be called. There'd be no witness in our lives, no helping to build up others because we're engaged elsewhere. We've got to invest in our faith through the word, through prayer and in fellowship. Remember, the battle belongs to the Lord. It won't overwhelm us. Now, it doesn't matter whether You're doing something grand or something big. If you're doing it for God, the enemy won't be happy. And yeah, you did hear that right. If you're doing something grand or something big, it doesn't matter. 
And that's because nothing we do for God is small. Everything we do counts for for the kingdom. Everything we do is big, at least. Think of the widow's mite and the parable of that mite. I'm sure we can extend that to say that whatever we do in service, however we might see it, God sees it as big and of lasting value. The impact that you can have on the life of a person by helping, say, in little lights or brigades or sunny days, serving refreshments on a Sunday, not today, I'm afraid, sorry, but most days, most times that we meet, you know, providing a meal for someone or simply talking with someone who's on their own, that can echo through eternity because you're helping to show the love of Jesus to that person or those people. Of course, there are just a few examples that could give so many more. Whenever God's involved, then what you do is big, whether you think it is or not. Big things happen in our lives where we are. Perhaps grand things might take a bit more effort and perhaps a bit more faith, but we should live our lives with a vision to be involved in both. God's work is given to us individually as a church, individually and as a church. And there's going to be times when some will be building and others defending, perhaps through prayer or other things. And then those roles might change. God is always working. In Nehemiah's time, the enemy were planning to infiltrate the builders and so attack from within. So what does Nehemiah do? He starts by organising them to work local to work as families, because people are more vigilant and work hard to defend their families. And you know your friends and your neighbours. Somebody trying to mingle and be inconspicuous would soon be spotted if they tried to get into your small group. That's how they frustrated the plans of the enemy. And I was drawn to the little book of Jude, Jude, of course, being Jesus' brother, where he writes, Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all, at once for all time, to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvellous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Infiltration, worming their way in, false teaching. We always have to be on our guard. As a church, we must look out for each other. We need to keep our focus on God's agenda and not anyone else's. Because when we take our eyes off Jesus, his calling, his mission, it opens us up to the possibility of attack from within. We're called to work alongside our great and glorious God, to build our own lives of faith, to share the gospel, to grow the kingdom, to watch out for each other. So please continue to pray for our pastors, elders, deacons, trustees, pray for our discipleship group leaders and the many activity leaders that we have, that we will always be focused on the kingdom. And let's make sure that we continue to look after each other just as Nehemiah told the families building the wall to do, and just as Jude urged the early church. 
The last thing BMI did was to put in a central calling system, a sort of panic button, yeah, or a panic horn uh, in those days. A rallying cry to gather and defend against a breach should it happen, so that they run to fight and defend. God would fight with them, because the battle belongs to the Lord. God will bring the victory. But the ram's horn would also be used to gather the Israelites together for instruction, so that they were focused on the task ahead. Similar again to when I used to work in those projects in the factory. I used to hold a nine o'clock meeting every morning to get an update on the previous day and night, because it was 24-7 working, to measure progress, to set the task for the day ahead. Putting in plans to recover, as undoubtedly we always had problems, where we were falling behind. And if things were really falling behind, we not only had a nine o'clock meeting, we had a two o'clock meeting in the afternoon as well to try and get things back on on track. We gathered and then we scattered. And I feel like my role is a bit of a Nehemiah today. We've been scattered through this last week in our jobs, in our families, in our neighbourhoods. We face different situations and challenges. Some of those might have been great, you know, really good times with, are we thankful? Or have they pulled us away from God and made us a bit self-sufficient? Others have been seriously challenged by difficult situations or events. I pray we'd be drawn to God. Or perhaps we're questioning God, and it's okay to question God. We've been scattered, but now we're gathered, either here or online. We've heard the ram's horn, and we're together again. And we're gathered around the God, the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're gathered around his word, or at least I hope and pray that it's his word this morning. And we have opportunities to gather in the week, in smaller groups, where it's easy to share and pray together as we focus on God. Tomorrow, we're going to be scattered again into the various places where God has placed us, where God has placed us, wherever that is. And remember that nothing or nowhere is small or insignificant to God. We have a mission, we have an appointment, we have a God to serve who has given us those missions and those appointments. So the very last thing that Nehemiah says when he's addressing the officials is, our God will fight for us. Remember that God had already frustrated the plans of the enemy. And so they weren't fighting for victory, but they were fighting from a position of victory. And that's the same for us. Jesus has won the victory. Although there are still some battles going on, we're fighting from a position of victory. The cross is a weapon that's disarmed the enemy. There's nothing Satan can do against it. He lost at the cross. And we remember that in the moment in communion. When Christ is the centre of why we fight, then we're empowered. And we can continue to grow in God to share the good news while fighting the enemy. We can continue to build the kingdom, both in our lives and the lives of others, and all to the glory of God. So just as the band comes up to sing our next song, let's just remind ourselves, if we allow God, he will build us up. 
we mustn't let ourselves be distracted. He has great things for us and he wants the best for us. Remember that God's in the business of working through his people to accomplish the seemingly impossible. And he will finish it. He will finish what he started. So don't leave the work of building for the sake of the battle. Be encouraged. God's with us. And as we sing this next song, let's use it both as a declaration and as a prayer, as in a moment we will scatter into the week. Thank you, Christine.